0: There are times where we get so caught up in our own head that we can't see the way to get out of the tangled threads. This conversation is your antidote to that feeling. I'm Ali Hill and welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to exploring what does it take to live boldly amongst the busyness, the mess and the unknown of our world. Gretchen Rubin is one of today's most influential and thought-provoking observers of happiness and human nature. She's an acclaimed New York Times bestselling author with books including Happiness Project, Happiness at Home, Better Than Before, amongst many others. She's known for her ability to distill and convey complex information and ideas with humour and clarity. In this conversation, we dive into her latest book, Life in Five Senses, and we talk about how tuning into your own unique sensory experience, and really yours is so different from other people's, can be one of the best ways to tap into delight and get out of your own head. I had so many aha moments myself in this conversation, and you're also here that Gretchen had one herself about the power of play in a world of discipline and habits. You can take Gretchen's quiz to discover your own neglected sense at gretchenrubin.com forward slash quiz. I encourage you to do that. You'll hear what my neglected sense is in this conversation and also some ideas about how maybe I can tune a bit more into this sense. This is a playful delight filled conversation that I'm sure will awaken your own senses. So tap into the Explorations, the Ideas and the Insights, shared by Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen, great to connect with you. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. You are an author. You've got multiple books around happiness and habits. Your latest book, Life in Five Senses, dives into what we uncover when we start to honour our senses, what we start to notice. And I really want to talk a little bit about that. But before we dive into that... If we go back to, I guess, your focus on diving into books and study around happiness and habits, was there a particular catalyst or a moment where you decided to go, ah, this is the area that I really want to explore?
1: Absolutely. There was like an actual moment that I remember very clearly. I was in a bus in the pouring rain and it was inching forward very slowly. So I was just staring out the window. I didn't have anything to occupy myself with. And at this time, I was finishing up my biography of John F. Kennedy. And so I was pretty much done with the writing of it. So it kind of had more bandwidth in my brain. And I looked out the window and I thought, well, what do I want from life anyway? You know, I had one of those opportunities where you can step back and ask yourself a big question, which at least I don't often do. And I thought, well, I want to be happy. And I realized, well, I say I want to be happy, but what does it mean to be happy? Am I happy? Can I make myself happier? Is that even possible? And I was like, I should have a happiness project. And that was the phrase that I used in my mind. And I was like, I'm going to run to the library and like start researching happiness. And it was just going to be for me. I wanted to find out for myself what I thought about happiness. And this is something that happens to me all the time. I'll get really preoccupied <laughs> with a subject and and intensely interested and go do a bunch of research and note taking on it. And so I did. And I kept thinking of more that I wanted to learn and so many things that I wanted to try in my own life. And At a certain point, I thought, wow, maybe this should be my next book because there's just so much that I want to do. And ever since I wrote The Happiness Project, I just want to go deeper and deeper and deeper because it's one of these things where the more you know, the more you realize you don't know and the more curious you become and just the more interesting the subject has become. So I feel like I'm just going deeper and deeper and deeper Mm. into this large, vast, inexhaustible subject (laughs) of happiness and human nature.
0: It is. It's huge, isn't it? And as yeah. obviously informed such a huge body of work. And as you say, once you start to go into it, you realise the ignorance of what we didn't know or what, yeah. what isn't in front of us. So happiness can be that kind of elusive, mm-hmm. have I got it? Am I? Mm-hmm. Does it come and go? Does it slip through our fingers? As of today, how do you define happiness or what does that look like for yourself based on not only the body of work that you've done so far, but probably what you're already diving into in in terms of what's next? What does that mean for you today?
1: Well, exactly as you say, it's a very transcendent, slippery concept. I started my career in law and we spent an entire semester arguing about the definition of contract. And happiness is a far more complex (laughs) concept to define. There's something like 15 or 17 academic definitions of happiness. And what I found is that it really isn't very helpful to the lay person to really worry about the definition of happiness, Mm -hmm. because we can get very caught up in, is it bliss, contentment, well-being, satisfaction, serenity? So what I think is easier to think about and is more useful is to say, well, let's say I did this next week, next month, this year. Do I think I would be happier? However I conceive of happiness and you and I might have different concepts of it. Do I think something's going to make me happier? That tends to be something that is very clear. Whereas am I happy on the 1 to 10 scale how happy am I? Mm. Am I happier now what about 2 hours ago? You know, like to me my brain just kind of melts at that kind of like trying to get metrics Structure. around it yeah. or you know And definitions. But when you say, well, would this make you happier? That feels very clear. And it also suggests that there's no magic finish line. There's no destination. It's not like I'm going to achieve happiness and then how do I stay there 24-7? That's not really very realistic. It's more like how am I moving in the right direction? So that's Mm. what I think about is how can we be happier? That's such a great way to look at it
0: because otherwise I think, you know, yeah, we definitely don't feel happier by doing metrics or or comparing and those sorts of things as well. But coming back to that, where am I at right now? What's the next thing that might make me feel happier for yourself There are times where that sense of whether it's contentment or well-being or whatever it is can, (laughs) can take a dip and there's probably multiple, but almost a bit of a go-to when you notice that within yourself. And that's more than just a, I'm feeling a bit flat, but where that takes Mm. a bit of a dip for you, how do Mm. you respond? Do you have tools that you go to straight away or is that variable based on where you're at and what's happening?
1: Well, you're exactly right. And that's one of the benefits of having studied it is I just have so many tools in my toolkit. And so some of them, it's like, you know, go outside. So get some sun in my face, walk around. So I'm getting some exercise, being out in the weather, that makes me happier. i go to sleep early. I'm like a real morning person and I always feel better in the morning. And I might go to bed at like eight or eight 30 at night because I know like more sleep will be good for me. And when I wake up, I'll feel better. I often reread some of my favorite books. I love children's literature and young adult literature. So I'll often reread some of my favorite books of children's literature because I find those sort of like deeply reassuring. I can enjoy them, but there's no suspense because I've read it 50 (laughs) times already. You know, I can just enjoy it. Probably most important is I reach out to other people. Like I'll call my parents. I'll call my sister. I'll call a friend. I'll connect with one of my daughters. I'll send a picture of my dog to my family. Petting my dog, you know, there's so much comfort that we can get from just like the wordless companionship, and then dialing into the sense of touch too, you know, with a pet. Doing a good deed for other people—that is one of the quickest, like, nicest ways to make ourselves happier is to make other people happy. So I look for an opportunity to do a good deed, even if that's something as simple as like picking up trash on the sidewalk or holding open a door for somebody. But I mean, and then you hope that you do bigger things like donate to an important cause or answer a complex email of somebody who you know needs a favor, or whatever. That is always a good thing to do. And then even things that like, I love the sense of smell. And so if I need just like a little bit of a lift, I'll often like smell a beautiful smell, something like fresh towels or a bottle of almond extract. Writing is very intellectually challenging, but I also find it kind of like combs out the tangles in my mind. And I have certain projects that I work on that are just like very intellectually challenging, but kind of back burner. So there's no, they're just sort of like little side projects that I work on just for my own delight. So sometimes I'll do that because it gives me kind of this creative pleasure and creation. It's absorbing but it's not so intellectually demanding that it's hard for me to do when I'm feeling low. I can keep going. I got I'm a bunch so of things to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the benefits of my line of study. Is I got, I got, I got a lot of tools. I can't
0: say I've got nothing to do. I don't know how to face this. (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that phrase of combing out the tangles in your mind and whether Mm. it's a project that doesn't have a deadline or a project that is just purely for delight. And also that one of the reassurance of diving back into books that you've read before, particularly when you know the outcome, but you can go along
1: with the journey of it. I think some people feel this way, like about a television show that they've watched. Like, I've watched The Office so many times. It's like, it's a pleasure because it is so familiar. So you can enjoy it, but somehow it it doesn't have the intensity. It doesn't make the demands that something that you're watching something for the first time.
0: Some of those tips you touched on in terms of tapping back into our sensory experience, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, petting a pet and that kind of real sense of touch, that real sensory peace. At the start of the book, Life in Five Senses, you tell a little bit about the catalyst of why you wanted to dive into this. Talk to me about the walk that you did around Mm. New York after your appointment with your eye checkup. What Mm. did this reveal to you?
1: Yeah, I had gone to the eye doctor because I had a bad case of pink eye. And as I was getting ready to leave, he said to me very casually, like, well, be sure to come back for your regular checkup because as you know, you're at greater risk of losing your vision. And I said, I did not know that. What are you talking about? And he said, oh, yes, you know, you're very, very severely nearsighted. And that means you're more at risk for a detached retina. And if that happens, we want to catch it right away because that can affect your vision. And I have a friend who had just lost some of his vision to a detached retina. So that felt like a very real possibility to me. So I'm sort of stunned by this. And I go out onto the street and I am live in New York City. So I'm getting ready to walk home. And I look around and, you know, and a lot of times we don't appreciate what we have until we lose it or until we fear we might lose it. And looking around, I thought how much I appreciate my sense of sight and yet how much I take it for granted. I had just walked over here. I had noticed nothing on my walk over. Not one single thing. I was just stuck in my head. I was lost in this fog of preoccupation. So I was realizing this. And then all of a sudden it was like every knob in my brain just got jammed up to the maximum setting. And I could see every detail with perfect clarity. I could hear every sound in a separate track. I could smell every smell in very smelly New York City, just like all just in this transcendent, almost psychedelic intensity for my whole walk home. And it was just pouring into me. And I thought, you know, this is happening all the time. Like I just am not experiencing it because I'm not paying attention. And I had known in my study of happiness, because as, you, as we've been talking about, I've been saying this for a long time, I knew there was something missing. I knew there was a puzzle piece that I hadn't identified. And I knew that I needed to find it. And that walk home showed me that was what I needed to do. I needed to reach out through my five senses and with my five senses, connect with the world, with other people, with myself, and that by focusing on the five senses, I could achieve that.
0: What surprised you in your research when you start to look at five senses? It's one of those things that we get taught in when we're in our youth at yeah. school that we understand we've got five senses and you get a sense of, okay, touch, vision smell, sound. So when you dive into it though, and certainly what you talk about in the book, some of the really practical ways that we can start to tune into those, what surprised you as you dove into the research of our five senses?
1: Well, one thing that astonished me, and I sort of intellectually knew this going in, I think, you know, it's something that we know, but it's still really surprising to actually be confronted with it over and over, is how each of us really lives in a different sensory universe. My universe is not your universe. And you might think like, Mm. oh, yeah, I mean, genetic differences, upbringing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, no, no, no. You and I walk into a room. We will experience something different because we can't experience our home the way a guest smells it, the way it smells. Because of smell, if I know the smell of my own home so well that my brain doesn't flag it, you could walk into my home and it's like overwhelming sense of smell Mm. of air freshener I don't smell it. You smell it. We're in the same place. Same thing with the sense of hearing. So I live in New York City and here we are, we're talking on a podcast. At any moment, a giant siren could go by the front of my apartment building. And I assure you, I will not hear it because my brain is just like sirens don't That's not important information. I don't need to interrupt your consciousness with that because this just happens all the time. Just a background noise. If I listen for it, I can hear it, but I won't notice it. Whereas you might notice it. You're like, what's going on? Like, let's stop the Mm -hmm. recording while the siren is going by. But then somebody said to me, oh yeah, in New York City, they don't hear the sirens. In Los Angeles, they don't hear helicopters because they've got helicopters going overhead all the time. And so again, it's like, I'm not so much of a music lover. I write about that in Life in Five Senses, about my relationship to music. But I was talking to a guy who really loves music, and he was saying to me, well, when I go to a restaurant, the music that they're playing is just as important to my enjoyment of the experience as the taste of the food. And I thought, well, for me, I don't notice the music at all, unless it's too loud. If it's too loud, I notice it. But if it's not too loud, I just tune it out. But I'm very sensitive to light. And I have been in places where I'm like, the light in here is so ugly that like my eyes are watering, I have to leave. And other people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. What's the big deal? So again, we're walking into the same place, but what we're experiencing can be really different. You know, and then there's things like the dress, you know? Uh, so do you remember the dress from 2015? The yes, picture? yeah. Okay, so what did you see? Did you see blue and black or did, did you see white and gold? White and gold. Me too. And it'll be
0: ages to see the other one.
1: I can't. Ages. I cannot see it. And that's right. That is the true color of the dress, is blue and black. And, you know, I've never seen it. And it's funny with something like that. Often, you know, the the researchers are like, oh, lay people think this is very surprising, but actually it's not that surprising. In that case, vision scientists were like, this is bonkers. Like Mm -hmm. it unleashed so much research because they were like, how do you explain this? They were just as surprised as all of us were by the fact that there were such different interpretations of that dress
0: so fascinating to think of the amplification of our experiences Are so different. And you're right, it's almost, even as you're describing that kind of sense of light and my eyes are watering, like there's a prickliness in my body that's that's kind of feeling so amplified and you cannot tune out a sense when it has been amplified Mm -hmm. in those kind of ways. So really fascinating to think about that is so different for different people. So often with senses particularly when we're talking about happiness and some of the tools and strategies you mentioned before, there's a real pleasantry around it. There's a real sense of calm or connection or joy or delight, whether it's that music that we love or that sense of touch that we really enjoy. In the research with the book, did you dive into the value of some of the prickliness of those senses, like our ability to tune in to touch sometimes can be not in the soft things, but in the things that kind of heighten that sense, whether it is a bit more kind of prickly or, you know, what those things that are amplified in those senses, how do they kind of have a bit of a play? Is that something you explored as you were, were looking into the senses?
1: Well, one of the things is that the more you tune in, the more you notice. And it's definitely true that as I began to notice more beauty, I also began to notice more clutter. And as I noticed more perfume, I noticed more stink. And I noticed more, like, beautiful noises and silence, which I love. But then I also noticed more kind of clatter So I think that's one of the things that happens is like if you tune it out, you kind of don't notice the high or the low and tuning in, you're aware of both of them. What I found for myself is that I actually was fine with that, that I felt like I didn't mind that because I felt like I was having like a richer experience because there was more range and that it wasn't as unpleasant as I might have thought once I sort of put it in this context of just greater awareness But it's definitely true that one of the things that comes from just not paying any attention is that you don't notice the negative as well as the positive.
0: That there's an amplification across the range. It's really interesting as people start to dive into what those senses might be. One of the things that you also explore and encourage people to look at is what is their neglected sense? And you actually have a a quiz that people can do. Talk to me about why that's interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, I, 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 and I had already finished the book when I created the quiz. Cause I was just like so on fire with it. I'm like, I got to keep going. Um, so, and in the book though, I do talk about foreground senses and background senses. And so what it is, is that for a lot of us, there's sort of senses that we pay a lot of attention to. These are the senses we really appreciate. They're in the foreground of our awareness. And these are the senses where we look for adventures and we like to learn about it and we reminisce about it. And we like, engage with other people through it. And we turn to it for comfort and pleasure. It's a big part of what we experience. Then we have neglected senses. And this is a sense where you're not that interested in new experiences or having adventures. And you probably don't talk about it or try to learn more about it or reminisce about it. You don't turn to it for comfort or pleasure. And it's really handy to recognize your neglected sense because this is where we have low-hanging fruit. Because with your appreciated sense, you're already doing a lot with your appreciated sense. But when you identify your neglected sense, this is where you're like, okay, well, what could I do? How could I engage with people through this sense? What are some ways that I could learn more about this sense? Because the more you know, the more you notice. What are some ways I could use it to evoke memories or spark creativity or boost my focus or give me energy or help me calm down? And once you start thinking about it, a lot of times people start thinking, oh, it's not that hard to come up with ideas because the five senses are so concrete. We're so familiar with them that just to ask the question, usually people can start to think of things they'd like to try or that they're curious about. But so I know you took the neglected sense. Mm -hmm. Tell me, what's your neglected sense? And were you surprised or would you have predicted the result?
0: It was fascinating to find it, but I probably would have predicted the result. Ooh. So my neglected sense is taste. Um, Mine too. There you go. So I am a terrible cook and not because I'm bad cook, but because I get bad. Bored of it. <laughs> mm, yeah. So I get excited. I put things on and I'll often forget that I've even got things on and it'll get burnt. So I love food and I appreciate really good food, but it's, yeah, it was my neglected sense. So being yours as well, yes. what can we do about it?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and we. Sh- I should say that if people want to take this quiz, it's free. It's quick. It's at gretchenrubin.com slash quiz. It's super fun. I'm. It's a five senses quiz. So of course, great. it had to be like really. Really fun to take. So what I found with taste was like, how could I think about new ways to achieve my aims for happiness through taste? Because I did neglect it. It's interesting, my sister, who's also the host of The Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast with me, mm. we're very much alike in a lot of ways. And what we found out is that that is our neglected sense. And it's so funny because when we get together, we would never like go to a, a lovely restaurant. We'd like go to a diner, you know? We just hang around and drink like coffee pot coffee. You know, we just thought that was so funny that it was so obvious that neither one of us cooks. We don't read restaurant reviews, any of that. Um, But so I thought, well, how, given that it is my neglected sense, what are the kinds of things I could do to tap into it? So one of the things that I did that was so fun, I highly recommend it to people is I had a taste party with friends. So as part of the research for the book, I went to Flavor University, which is a two-day course in kind of all things flavor. And we did these taste comparisons. It was so fun. I love a taste comparison. And so I had people over and then we compared varieties of apples, potato chips, and chocolate and just talked about what do you like? What do you perceive? How would you rank these? I had people taste ketchup because Heinz ketchup is one of these rare foods that's all five of the basic tastes together, sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and umami. It's very, very hard to get all five. So That's why Haydn's ketchup is so popular. And people were like, oh my gosh, ketchup is amazing. It's so sophisticated. It's so complex. And you're like, yeah, you had this like every day of your life practically. But nobody really stops to really think about what it tastes like. So this was a really fun way to kind of connect with friends. We had this like warm, intimate conversation, reminiscing. It was just fun and very easy to do. And I've heard of people doing lots of like, oh, I got six varieties of vanilla ice cream and had my friends like rank which, you know, like if you pay more for Mm -hmm. ice cream, is it really better? Like, do you really get what you pay for? No, it's basically the same. I've heard of people doing all kinds of fun things. So that was a really fun thing that I did with taste. Another thing I did was I did a taste timeline. One of the things that, the senses are famous for is their ability to evoke memories. There's actually things Mm. called Proustian memories, which are memories that are evoked by sensation. So I wanted to use my sense of taste to connect with my own memories because I don't have very good memories of my own life. So I divided my life into four periods and wrote down my strongest taste memories from that time. So whether it was like my favorite food then or a food that I ate at that time, but at no other time, you know, whatever the strongest were connected to that period. Super fun to do. So many memories came back to me. And then I called my sister and my college roommate and we reminisced about, oh, remember when we used to drink all those white Russians in freshman year? Or, you know, remember when we ate all those Oreo cookies and those long car trips? I liked it also because it felt very creative and yet it was very easy to execute. You know, sometimes when you're doing something creative, you're like, yeah, and it's fun to have the idea, but I'm kind of frustrated by how I can't really make it as good as I want. But this was just a list of foods. And I didn't even need to eat the foods. I just had to think about the foods for all these memories to come back. So those were just a few things that I did uh, to tap into the pleasures of my sense of taste.
0: Such a fascinating way to also tap into that sense of connection, as you say, yes. previously, but with other people. And it's always yep. like those kinds of conversations that where you're reminiscing. Someone else will be going, oh, yeah, and that white Russian that had the cherry in it. And you're like, yeah, yes. I forgot about that taste. Or, yes. I forgot about that. So it becomes a real sense of connection that you can see kind of starts to amplify having invested in some of that is taste has that expanded for you as a sense
1: yes absolutely it has now i wouldn't say that i'm a more adventurous eater um because i'm not and i'm no. not interested in something like cooking or like watching cooking competition shows on tv so in that way i haven't changed but what has changed is I really much more appreciate the taste that I already do appreciate. Mm -hmm. And so instead of just kind of absentmindedly gobbling something down, I really will uh, stop and experience it. And for instance, you know when you go to a restaurant and it has kind of a description of like, what's in the sauce? Or what are the herbs that are used in the preparation? I used to just pay no attention. And it was just kind of a vague clump of impressions for me. And I didn't even really like, what is this? Mm -hmm. But now I really try to discipline myself to like really read what is in it and then try to experience that. Like, what is the difference between thyme and rosemary? Or if they say there's lime, you know, in the sauce, can I taste the lime? Or if it's described as smoky, do I appreciate that it's smoky? And that's just a little kind of everyday way to try to stay connected. It's easy to feel changed. It's hard to stay changed. And so one of the things I'm worried about is like, will I keep up with this when I'm no longer writing a book about the five senses and thinking about it all the time? Because of course I want to keep it up forever. And so I look for little touch points throughout my ordinary life that will kind of recall to me, remember, stop, pause, really experience what you're experiencing. And in that way, I hope that I can really stay connected to my five senses.
0: And that's such a great tip, regardless of what your neglected sense is, pause, Mm. tune in, come back to where you're at. I'm really interested in, if we go to the sense of hearing in particular, and we're chatting on a podcast, you have mentioned you've got your podcast with your sister Happier, which has been around for ages and it's an extraordinary podcast. I've got this theory that there's something incredibly intimate about mm. podcasts because it is the audio only and often it is one to one so people don't get together and listen to podcasts in groups sorry <laughs> so there's something quite intimate but also because it is only that one sense unless you're watching the video or yeah uh, which changes it up but there's something about the auditory nature of that podcasting which has exploded, you know, in the last 10 years definitely. What from your research do you think that is kind of connected to that sense of conversation is only one sided when we're listening to a podcast but there's something that taps into us that is that is more than just oh this is interesting.
1: Absolutely and it's one of the things that everyone who's involved with podcasting, whether you're a listener or a creator, remarks on is how much you have these parasocial relationships with podcasters. Mm. I mean, people feel that way toward me and I feel that way about other people. I mean, I love the podcast Binge Note and I was like, I'm gonna be in LA. I like, I wonder what Mallory Rubin's doing. I've never met Mallory Rubin, you know what I mean? But I would recognize her. Mm. I would like recognize her voice. And so one of the things that's really remarkable about the five senses is that they are very attuned to other people, to the brain. The most important thing is other people. Other people Mm. represent opportunity and other people represent danger. And our senses are particularly attuned to anything that gives us information about people. So if you take the sense of sight, we have an area in the brain that does nothing but look for faces and identify faces. And we are so good at identifying faces, which is pretty remarkable if you think about the fact that faces are pretty much the same, and yet we can really tell them apart. People we've met, people we've never met, profile, like all different angles, we're really good at it. And we see faces where they don't even exist like the man on the moon or, you know, like in a slice of toast because the brain is searching, searching, searching for faces. Same thing with hearing. We have particularly acute hearing right where is the range of the human voice because the human voice is so important to us. And I think you're right. There's something about somebody talking right into your ear. It's just you and the conversation. It's predictable. It just feels intimate and it feels real and it feels personal in a way people definitely obviously have parasocial relationships with tv people but i think there's something about podcasting where like they're talking right into your ear you do feel a deeper sense of connection and i think sometimes like if you're feeling like really stressed out or you need comfort you can turn to a podcast like a voice that comforts you and it will help you feel calmer, just the way like being in the company of somebody, it's not as good as being in the actual company of somebody, you know, but it's something. I certainly have had things where I'm really, really stressed out. And I, again, I like to re-listen to things that gives me comfort. I'll re-listen to a favorite podcast and just hearing like a familiar voice, having a familiar conversation, I find is very, very calming. So it's something that we can appreciate and then even tap into if we need it.
0: The five senses can be a way for us to connect with other people. You touched on that before. In the book, you talk about even describing, and I'm going to call it a poem that you write about Jamie, but it's really just, you know, going through the five senses and unpacking what do you know about them in terms of what they love to eat and what they love to smell and... And I found that so interesting, not only for us to kind of tune in because there is this such a sensory experience, it's no longer cognitive, we get out of our head and into our body when we start to talk about senses, but to think about it in the way that we connect with and think of other people. How have you you know, tapped into that or how has that kind of expanded for you, having dived into the research and into this book where you might tune in to what people are saying about what they, as you say, what they're looking for when they walk into a room, what they've noticed, what they might speak about if they're describing the food where you kind of go, ah, taste is clearly something that, lights you up how has that kind of changed what you notice about people around you
1: absolutely and i think one of the things that i really found from doing the research for the book is that we can use our senses to engage with other people and of course like ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that if you had to pick one thing as like the most important element of a happy life, you would say relationships. I mean, because to be happy, we have to have deep, enduring relationships. And what I found is that connecting through the five senses is a great way to deepen and expand relationships. So I did a five senses portrait of Jamie, where for each of the five senses, I wrote five of my most notable associations. So it was like his favorite of something or something that I really I had a very strong memory or uh, something that I associate with him. So I did a five census portrait of Jamie and it really took a long time to pick like what were those five of the each to come up with a 25. As I was saying before, it's one of these things where it feels very creative, but then the execution is like, you can do it very well um, easily. And the funny thing is, since I did that, I've seen all these other ways to do it. People have found all these other uses. For instance, after I was done with the book, my editor said, Gretchen, you should do a five senses self-portrait. You should do one of yourself. I was like, wow, I've just read a whole book about the five senses and it didn't occur to me to do this, which is a very obvious thing to do. So I did that. Mm. That was hard. How do you sum up yourself? Like what are the five most distinctive and notable smells that I associate with myself and my own past? That was fascinating. But what I've heard, and we talked about it on the Happier Podcast is like an idea. What a lot of people have done is they've done it for people who have died. They do it to hang on to concrete memories of someone who's gone to help them keep a memory vivid. Mm. And there's something that is just very comforting about like, this was my grandmother's signature perfume. This was my grandfather's favorite Sunday breakfast. I write in the book a lot about my own memories of my grandparents. Like my grandfather was a uh, railroad engineer and he often had kind of an oily grime on his hand. So we had this special pumice soap that fascinated me as a child. So I so associate the touch of that soap with my grandfather And often, too, people will do this because they think, well, my children or the grandchildren of these beloved family members won't really know their essence. And so by creating this portrait, I can really show them, present them with all the things that are so important to me. And then they won't be forgotten because you think, well, yeah, for sure. Now I remember how we used to always tease him about how much he loved rhubarb pie. But am I going to remember that in five years or 10 years or 20 years Like there's something about doing that, and also to do it for someone else. I've heard of people who do it and then give it as a gift because you know people talk about feeling seen. Well, you're seen, you're heard, you're smelled, you're tasted, you're touched. People are like, they are reflecting you back, and they're showing this is what I know, remember, treasure about you, and that's just very deeply satisfying to have somebody give you that about yourself. So I've heard of people creating it and then like doing you know very fancy versions and giving it as a gift which again, I hadn't thought of. And I'm like that for a certain kind of person who likes to do that sort of presentation can be really, really creative, really meaningful an amazing keepsake of a time. Because of course, like you doing it for your sweetheart when you're 22 is not going to be the same thing as you're going to do with your sweetheart, you know, 30 years later, after 30 years of marriage or whatever. There's just like a lot of ways that you can adapt this idea for whatever you're trying to achieve, Um, and yet it's really fun. I've heard of people doing it as families, like, oh, for my mother's, you know, milestone birthday, my five sisters and I did it together, and we each gave our favorite, you know, there's just a lot of ways that you can play with it, make it your own, have fun with it, and yet hang on to memories and connect deeply with someone's essence through the five senses.
0: Such a beautiful way, as you say, to kind of connect with those. And some of those can be a point in time. I was smiling as you were saying, you could do that for your sweetheart. And I'm like, some of that nineties music that they love back then is still has come back yes. in fashion, right? Oh. So what are the what are the threads that stay
1: yes. across a lifetime? <laughs> yes. It's just so fun to hang on to that. Mm.
0: So this book's been out for a little while, and obviously you've been talking about it through your podcast. In terms of the feedback that you've been getting from readers, some beautiful descriptions of the way that people are applying some of those kind of self-portraits, what has surprised you or what are some of the main things that you're hearing back from people as they uh, read this book?
1: One of the things that I'm hearing is something that I find incredibly gratifying, is that people are finding it to be like very joyful and very energizing and feeling like something they really want to do. Because the fact is sometimes when people talk about engaging with the five senses, they talk about it in kind of a more disciplined meditative way, which is fine. Like a hundred percent many people take that approach. They do the five, four, three, two, one meditation. They will sit and really experience a sip of coffee and you know, really like experience like every nuance, or they sit in forest bathing and they're taking it all in. And that's great. And I certainly did certain things like that myself. And yet I have to say most of what I did and wrote about and enjoyed, I have to confess, are things that are, were much more playful and loose and undisciplined. And just like, let's have fun with this and like, let's just check this out and like, let's, let's have fun with it. And I feel like people are hungry for that because like everything these days is built as immersive because if something's immersive, it's like, we want it. I think we crave it. And I think for a lot of people, they are excited about all these ideas because what I did is not that important. It's more like I'll talk about what I did and that's going to get you started on your own thoughts. That's going to give you ideas for yourself, which you'll have different appreciated senses, different neglected senses, different things that you're interested in doing. And so it's not so much that it's what I did, but that it gets you, You know, a lot of times you have to sort of think about what somebody else does to get you kind of seeing like, seeing possibilities that you could try yourself. Like with the five senses portrait, people took it in all different directions that never occurred to me because they were like, oh, well, what would I do with this? How does this work for me? And that's very creative, it's very playful. And so I'm really enjoying the fact that people are just kind of fired up and like really seem to be having fun with it. Like as people are reading it, they're like, oh, this is so great, or I'm in Italy and it's amazing because I'm tuning into my five senses. I'm on the beach of Hawaii, here's a picture of the book. And like, this is my five senses of, you know, what I had this morning. So it's like, I, I like that because I feel like sometimes things just, even in the in the world of happiness, they can feel kind of serious and demanding. I'm like, let's like have some fun. Let's, let's lighten up. Let's give ourselves that energy because we need that. If we're going to ask more demanding things of ourselves and like engage with the problem of the world, we need to, you know, to think about how to keep ourselves going. And I think the five senses is a great way to do it. So it's been really fun for me to see what other people are doing with the ideas that I talk about in the book.
0: Aside from that virtual travel around the world between Hawaii and Italy, yeah, <laughs> which yeah, yeah. is uh, such a great thing to do, but that call to make it more playful, because I was thinking about not only have you written about the five senses, but you've also written about habits yes. and in terms of better than before. And there can be a bit of a sense on, particularly in that kind of wellness industries, that there's so many things that we can do that you've got to do it all. And I just don't, this feels like something else that I have to do and put on my plate in order to be a better human, functioning human being. And sometimes habits can be, um, they're really good, but they're actually competing against each other <laughs> as well.
1: But you know what? I i never thought about it until you said it, but I think you're exactly right. So in my book, Better Than Before, I talk about the 21 strategies we can use to make or break our habits. And then I went on to write a book called The Four Tendencies, which is all about a personality framework that explains a lot of like why you can or can't form habits in different ways. And I'm a person who loves habits. I really thrive on discipline, but I could see somewhat in myself, but also definitely from other people that it's demanding to have a habit. And what I also found is like people need, if they're going to ask something of themselves, they need to give something to themselves. Like we need to stay in balance. And if you're demanding, 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 and like using discipline depriving yourself maybe of something that's not good for you, asking yourself to do something that maybe you'd rather not do, but you know, in the end, it's going to make you happier, but you really don't feel like going to the gym or whatever. You sort of need treats. And I, and one of the strategies I talk about in better than before is the strategy of treats. And what I argue is that we need to give ourselves healthy treats because we need to give ourselves energy. And you don't want to give yourself an unhealthy treat because you're doing it to feel better, but in the end, you just feel worse. But I hadn't really connected it, that in a way, the entire book of Life in Five Senses, I could have written it as the strategy of treats through the five senses. (laughs) Because really, in the end, I didn't even think of that. That's really Mm. what it is. That's Because like I'm saying, you could discipline yourself through the five senses. But I kind of ignored that for the most part. I was really leading into the treats. Well, now, to me, all my books fit together. But this is like the direct connection. Thank you. This is a major insight. All right. Awesome. You You know my mind better than I do. Wow. Okay. Good. Gold
0: star. That beautiful way to make it playful and fun yes, and think you're cool, whereas this could have been a, a heavy habit book, yes. but it's not. It's almost like, yeah, it's kind of that pull to it's it. It's
1: interesting because one of the things that's kind of peculiar about me, and I've written about it a couple of times, is I quit sugar. I have a really, really a strong sweet tooth that was just very distracting and boring to deal with. So I was just like, you know what? I'm kind of an all or nothing person. I'm just going to quit sugar and then I won't have to worry about all this which I did, and it makes me so happy. I'm not saying that's what would work for everyone. I'm just saying that for me, it's just better. It makes me much happier just not to just to quit sugar. And by doing that, I kind of freed myself not to worry about that negative aspect of it and to experience the pleasure of it, of what I was trying more deeply. But for me, that was easier, whereas I think for a lot of people, that would require so much discipline that they can't even imagine doing it. But for me, it was actually less discipline to give it up altogether, which I write about in better than before about the strategy of abstaining. For some people, it's easier to give up mm. something altogether. It takes less discipline than to indulge moderately in something and a temptation. So that's interesting it's only too. One,
0: one decision, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it then really it's just and then
1: it's just done. So in terms of like discipline, that's another way that's interesting to think about discipline in the senses because I think many people would say like, oh, well, you used a lot of discipline in that way. And I'm like, no, actually that was less discipline because of just sort of this aspect of my nature. It is interesting to think about it in terms of like, well, and then I visited the Metropolitan Museum every day. That was probably my most mm-hmm. ambitious exercise. And for me that I considered that recess. So if you think about discipline, for me it was like, this is a time where I can do whatever I want. I'm tuning into my five senses, but in, again in a very loose, playful way. I'm not asking myself to focus or to direct my thoughts and or I can do whatever I feel like it was meant to give myself recess because if anything, I'm over disciplined, overly rigid. And so I was interested in using the five senses as a way to give myself a relief from that when I needed it.
0: Yeah, so fascinating that you're almost finding a way of play and that there is nothing else. Because I was going to ask you, like obviously your writing habits and the work that you do, putting out podcasts, there's a load that comes with that that requires a level of consistency and timing and organisation. So where do you and how do you in that work kind of oscillate between, sometimes it can be the sanctity of discipline, as you describe of going, at least I know what I'm doing and I clear and I can see progress and I can see that happening. happening. So, so oscillating between that and a sense of playfulness, which has no KPIs. There's no, you know, when people say, what did you do? I'm like, I just hung out at the Met or wherever. How do you sit between those two?
1: Well, I realized that I, the only way I could get a break from discipline was through discipline. So the thing about the Met is like, it goes on in my calendar every day. It's like, I'm going every day. I don't go on Wednesday because it's closed on Wednesday, but every other day I go. And it's just, when is that going to happen? So I use discipline to free myself from discipline because I knew that's the way. Now, I don't want to go into the four tendencies personality framework, but I am an upholder and there's upholders, questers, obligers, rebels. Upholders really thrive on habit and routine. And so to me, that is like calming and energizing more than it's draining. So the kind of work that I do, the very kind of consistent work suits me well. But as you say, like. Even for someone like me, I need to have breaks. I need to have play. I need to like step outside of like the intensity of my own mind or else it will just become kind of cramped and drained and rigid. So I really did feel like the five senses helped me because it gives me this kind of even fleeting breaks as I'm going through because I'm like, oh my gosh, let me stop. And today I was in Central Park. It was like a hot spring day. And there's clover, which is these little tiny flowers, kind of weeds in the grass. But if there's a lot of them, they have a smell. And it was just such a beautiful smell. And I was like, oh, I'm so happy I'm going to walk today when the clover smell has got to be at its strongest. It was so beautiful. But so that's a little way to have a break is through the five senses. And then something like the med is like what I would consider like a major break because for as long as I'm there, and I can be there for as long as I want, I can do whatever I feel like. And that includes things like if I wanted to sit down on a bench and check my phone, I could do that. Like I didn't have any rules about what I, if I wanted to listen to a podcast, I could. I don't because I just don't feel like doing that there. But I could if I wanted because I tried to make it like there are no rules. I can do whatever I want. It's playtime, recess.
0: I love that, you know, almost putting that into the calendar, creating that for ourselves, which is that full permission. And as we're talking, I think, yeah, that real sense of each of those five senses, wherever, and almost the combination of that. I can almost smell the clover as you're Mm. describing it on this spring day. And I'm in Australia and we're coming into winter, so I'm rugging in. And, (laughs) and, uh, you know, so those senses are are different uh, in different seasons, in different times and different things that are happening. So that playfulness allows us to respond to what's happening around us Mm -hmm. as well. I don't know whether you've thought about this, but if you could invent a new sense beyond the five, Mm. what would that be? Or what is it that you think we could add to our attunement?
1: Well, it's interesting because if you study animals, animals have senses that we do not have. Now, of course, we have more than five senses. Like scientists Mm. would tell you we have 33 senses, 35 senses. There's all these, But the big five are like the glamorous ones that we're really aware of. Maybe we would be able to see more of the spectrum beyond our visible spectrum. So we could see, you know, infrared or something like that. That could be cool. There are animals that like they could pick up magnetism. It would be cool to like, where's magnetic north? We could orient ourselves like migrating birds towards that. That Mm -hmm. would be interesting. Echolocation is something that we can already do. People can use echolocation. They tend not to, especially if they can see because they just don't need to. But that's something that, if we dialed into it, it, could be really interesting. There's ways of touch that are far beyond what we can do, perception. You know what I think I would like? Well, this is really a sense that we yeah. have. I would love to be able to smell the way a dog smells. What are they smelling? I look at my dog and I'm like, what is the bouquet? What is what How are you analyzing this? You know, and now they're using dogs to to scent cancer, to scent mm-hmm. bombs, of course. drugs, we know about that. But like things like if your blood sugar is dropping, sometimes they have dogs that can help with that. There are all kinds of things that dogs can do. But that's just an intensification of a sense that we have our own version of. But yeah, what would be a new sense?
0: Mm, The way we interpret that
1: sense, Mm -hmm.
0: right? Like, you know, again, if you were to think about the way dogs just seem so joyful in sniffing.
1: (laughs) No, they're intensely interested. I mean, they're like, Mm. You know, and clearly it's like, there's so much information that's coming to them. But it's funny. I mean, that's one of the things once I started paying much more attention to my sense of smell, because I always loved my sense of smell, but I didn't. I wasn't tuned into it because I wasn't tuned into any of my senses. But you realize like it is this reporter. I mean, it's telling you all kinds of things. It's like this kind of person walked down the street and it's trash day. And it's what is the weather like? And there was rain this morning before you woke up. And there's just so much information. And you see, I mean, with COVID, well, you know, a lot of people lost their sense of smell. And I think, you know, traditionally in the West, people have kind of viewed the sense of smell as kind of a bonus sense or kind of a nice-to-have sense. They haven't really understood the importance of it and like the role that it plays in our sense of vitality and connection. And I think for a lot of people, losing their sense through COVID really awakened them to like how important it is um, and how much we really do value it. And for me, I was just like, wow, it's giving me all this information, even if I'm not consciously aware of it, it's helping me locate myself in time, in space, in like, what are the activities that are going on all around me in a way that I hadn't appreciated before. And certainly with people like, oh, you know, I'm smelling... Shampoo and deodorant and toothpaste and bacon and, you know, dog and all these things, wool and all those things. It's all so intense.
0: And there's probably so much that we're yet to research and understand about what our brain's doing, even with those senses of yeah. smell that we, we're just not even cognitively um, yeah.
1: aware of at the moment. So it's really fascinating to dive into some of that research. I love this phrase it's your diplomatic odor because we go out into the world and we, it's not our natural smell. You know what I mean? We got. We got shampoos, we got deodorants, we got mouthwash, we got all kinds of stuff doing. And that's our diplomatic odor, because that's what we're taking into that. the world to uh, <laughs> to meet with other people. I love that phrase. <laughs> that's a great
0: phrase. What's exciting you about what's next, Gretchen?
1: Well, I have wanted to write a book of aphorisms. I love aphorisms, which are sort of short, concise, well-articulated observations about human nature. I've collected so many of these from all my favorite writers, and I've started writing my own. And if you look at my work, I kind of cultivated an aphoristic style without even being consciously aware of that that's what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. And with Life in Five Senses, I was much more conscious of it. And then I'm sort of like very excited about maybe the possibility that I would write my own book of aphorisms. Often I will write like what I would call a big book that's like a major undertaking. And then I'll write a smaller book, which is maybe more whimsical or has like an unusual structure Or it's just like a little bit less weighty in terms of how much research I have to do. And so this might be kind of my little book as I'm thinking about what my next big project is going to be. But I love it so much. It feels huge in my mind because Mm. I'm so excited about it. But what it's actually going to look like, I am just at the beginning of figuring that out that's exciting to kind of pull
0: all those threads together and to start to see the seeds of wisdom in those so maybe we can connect with you once that book comes out yeah. as well. Gretchen, I've loved this conversation. This podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life?
1: Just one where you really are thinking about you know, where you want to be and how you want to show up and what you want to put out into the world. I'd sign up for that.
0: Thank you so much, Gretchen. I'm going to go and tune into my taste. Oh, good. (laughs) You and me both.
1: (laughs) Thanks so much. I so enjoyed the conversation.
0: If you've enjoyed this conversation, then let's keep the conversation going. The main place that I hang out is on Instagram at Pally Hill A-L I H I L L. One of the ways you can continue to support me and the team behind the podcast is if you could take two minutes just to rate and review Standout Life Podcast on whatever platform you are listening to. You can also subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified when new episodes come out. And if this conversation is one that you know that someone in your world would get a huge amount of value out of, then please share share it with them or maybe share it on your socials once again thanks so much for tuning in for your ongoing support and for joining me in exploring what does it really take as always this is standout life podcast and i'm ali hill